Hey, this is Reza. This is Sandy. Welcome to the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Fifty-sixth episode of the Stone Cold Sober podcast. Reza, I'm, I am I am physically exhausted. <laughs> Tell me why. We have been spending this long weekend going to look at uh, listings of apartments in the city. Okay. Uh, I am pulling out uh, some documents to see how many we've seen so far. And if you'll just bear with me just a moment, I can tell you that on Friday, the, f- the 7th, we saw our first unit. Um, and so here's an interesting thing, okay? Uh, when you buy a home, a single family home from, a, from another, from you know, the family that's currently occupying it, uh, you've got your standard closing costs and all that stuff, and you, you can close within about a month, right? And for those, you know, for, who understand how to purchase co-ops in the city, I apologize that we'll be sort of going over information that you know, but I'm sure most of our listeners uh, don't know what it's like to buy a co-op, and so you're going to learn alongside me. Um, we saw this unit. Uh, do you think it's uh, healthy to – I'm not going to tell you where – I'm not going to give you the address quite yet, but um, <laughs> it's a two-bedroom Okay, they they only allow seventy five percent financing, so you need twenty five percent down, and it's been on the market for a number of months now, which is never a good sign in New York City. The first two weekends of an apartment really determine if it'll sell quickly or not, and you and most do, if they are priced correctly. Yeah, this one has been sitting, and we were trying to figure out why they're uh, unwilling to budge, and it turns out there's a couple of reasons. One. If you were to do a lot of, we'll say, uh, improvements to an apartment with like uh, updating and renovating and whether it's like, you know, the big ones are kitchen renovations or uh, bathroom renovations. Those tend to be the most common ones that people do. Uh, if you were to sink like maybe, you know, 50 grand into a place, you probably want to try and recoup as much of that as possible, right? Uh, like you wouldn't want to put all that money into a place and sell at a loss. That seems counterintuitive. That, that you know, that's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but what's also interesting is... When you sell, not only uh, so in, in in New York City, and I, and I don't know if this is the same with you, but did you use a real estate agent when you were looking? Yes, uh, where you are right now. Yep. Did you have to pay a fee yourself for that real estate agent, or was that agent's fee covered by the seller? Uh, agent's fee, I'm like ninety percent, ninety nine percent certain that it was covered by the sale by the seller. Yeah, great. So you understand then that like as a seller. Not only are you, if you try to put improvements into an apartment, not only are you trying to recoup that, but now you're paying like, for example, the average uh, sort of broker fee, we'll say, that's split between the buyer's agent and the seller's agent in New York City is, I think, either 5 or 6%. So you just imagine all the people with their hands out when you make a sale of like who gets in, in line ahead of you before yeah. you get your money back. Yeah. And so that's why you'll see places that like just are like uh, – stubbornly sort of not lowering the price so yeah we saw our first place too, um, right like because yeah because 
the longer you hold a place, the more likely that you've you've recouped some value that of the home, like or it increased your um, like your money has has made some return on your investment, so to speak. And if you were to move out like six months later, you're probably not going to be able to list the house for say like twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars more than what you paid, probably even more for a seller to actually recoup those costs. So, um, yeah. Exactly. We've seen, so that was on a Friday in the morning. Uh, and then the next day, we saw six units uh, all in the Upper West Side, one in Hell's Kitchen. One was crazy because it was on uh, West 82nd Street and they called it a two bed. But when you fucking walk into this place, it required a gut renovation. And I was like, so you're going to pay uh, some absurd amount of money to essentially gut everything. Yeah. And it had so little in it to begin with that it was just like, this is this is bogus. And so we saw seven that first weekend. Um, and then these are all old. And then we got another packet here. What's nice is the real estate agent that we're working with gives us these property tour booklets. So we can sort of like, everything is sort of kept on track. Yesterday, so that was yesterday was our second, this weekend's our second consecutive weekend, I guess we'll, we'll say that we're looking at places. Um, this is, we saw three units yesterday. One unit was interesting because it's, uh, it's near Billionaire's Row, which is an avenue, I think it's like 57th or 58th Street in New York City where like a lot of high rises are that are like $30 million apartments. So it's, it's obviously not in our price range, but, um, would it be funny if I have casually like, oh, Rez, I'm looking at $30 million apartments. Uh, <laughs> um, but we're, we're sort of like near them, right? I think we're one block up or one block over from them. Yeah. Uh, and so this one was interesting because it was on a low floor, but uh, fully gut renovated, really nice finishes. Uh, so that was nice. We saw another one that uh, was unfortunately in Midtown, which wasn't the bad part about it, but it was next to an open lot. And then the thing you got to know about open lots in New York City is they get taken over by developers really quickly. Mm, so the so last thing you want yeah. is to live next to an active construction zone for a number of years. It also yeah. takes away all of your light because um, next thing you know, you're, you're facing a wall and it gets really dark. Right. Uh, so yesterday we saw – I'm looking at it. Yesterday we saw three units and today I think we saw six units. We were going to see seven but we canceled one when we realized that we didn't like – we were going to see two units in the same building. But we were staggering it because of the appointments and how they were sort of just, you know, uh, when they were made. The issue, though, was that the uh, we didn't like the fact that, A, there was no doorman. B, there was a lot of stairs to get into the building's lobby. And we're trying to find a place that has either no, story, no stairs or a ramp for, like, uh, you know, strollers and whatnot. You don't want to be wheelers. Uh, a stroller downstairs if you can help it. Right. Um, and so we just got back from a full day of doing it. So I'm uh, very tired, but it's just good to continue to figure out like um, how to, I guess, accurately go through this process. You know, there's the way that I've been trying to do it, Caroline, I've been trying to do it, is like what are things that you can change about a building or a unit and what are things you can't change? So some things you can't change are like the location of the building itself. Uh, so you wanna make sure you're in the right neighborhood. For us, it's like proximity to the park, proximity to uh, public transportation, AKA the subway. 
Um, there are other things that you can change, like uh, how big the building is, how uh, you can't change how big your unit is. Um, you can't change what side it faces. So like, like stuff like that, right? But then you can also right. like, you also can't change the size. Like, the, the big thing is you can't change the size of the unit. You can kind of change the layout of the unit uh, up to a point if it's like not load bearing walls, but then you need um, like co-op uh, approval, like board approval to do a lot of that stuff. Uh. Um, there's also stuff that's like, um, so every uh you got to pay these maintenance fees and essentially for you it'd be like an hoa fee right and then if a building say wants to upgrade its lobby or uh, make repairs to the roof or the elevator or do like general improvements those are called capital improvements um and you need uh like the co-op needs a pot of money to do that now that pot of money tends to be refreshed through every unit paying the maintenance fees but also if something happens what the co-op board can vote to approve is to give an additional monthly payment known as an assessment so like it might be like all right you know we're all paying uh like a decent maintenance fee would be less than two thousand dollars a month that's just the the nature of things just the nature of things Uh Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it can go as high as like, you know, we've seen it like more than fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 in like super old money luxury buildings. Wow. Uh, it's just, it is what it is, right? Uh, you're paying for doorman, you're paying for a lot of things in, in, in that sense. Um, so not only do you make a maintenance payments, but then if they want to assess or leverage an additional fee because there's not enough money to go around to cover it. Then it's known as an assessment. That could be an extra 200, 300 bucks a month that has a definitive like end date to it, but that's usually like project specific. The good co-ops have really healthy financial reserves that can cover these capital improvements that don't require initial additional assessments. Other ways that a co-op can make money, we found out, is something known as a flip tax. A flip tax, F-L-I-P, like literally, you know, like flipping over, is when a flip tax is paid when a co-op changes hands from one owner to another. There's a couple of ways that this number is paid. On average, it's either 2% of the sale price or 1% of the sale price, or even it could be a dollar amount per share multiplied by the number of shares. Okay. And so sometimes it might be not that bad. It could be like... Um, let's just say it's like $10 a share and you have 300 shares. So it's $3,000, right? It's The math is really straightforward there. But that flip tax can be, uh, it ranges between is the seller paying this or is the buyer paying this? Or do you negotiate a split on this? Um, but this way, the co-op building still gets the money, but you can t- understand that from a buyer perspective, if you have to pay a flip tax, not only then are you paying the down payment amount, making sure that you can match whatever minimum requirement the building requires, whether it's 20%, 25%, 30%, what have you. Um, we saw a unit uh, listed uh, for 1.148, so like what was it, 1.15 million? The minimum down was 875k, which is just like minimum. So weird. 
so weird. Yeah, it was minimal. Yeah. Uh, so you need 875k cash minimum uh, to be uh, considered for that. Um, so the flip tax, though, going back to that, is like another way that co-ops make money. Um, and so you can imagine that not only you're putting a down payment amount, but you're also having to pay a percentage potentially of the closing costs. So right. if you're looking at a million dollar apartment, two percent doesn't sound like a lot in isolation, but if you multiply two percent by a million, mm-hmm. that's twenty grand. Yep. On top of everything. Yeah. Then you're then you're getting the closing costs and all this other stuff and whatever have you. So many ways that a co-op can make money. We found out an additional way is if there are commercial businesses in the building that also can generate revenue. We saw a unit that owned a that had uh I think they were charging rent for a dry cleaner and a nail salon. That that was an additional way that money could come in passively. Uh, we saw a unit today, a building today that had an in-building garage that made six figures for the building annually. And so the good news about Whoa. something like that is you may, for example, let's say you and Lena are living in this building, but you don't have a car, yeah. right? So you get to experience the benefits of all of these other people in the building who are paying, I think it was like 400 bucks a month to park their car like underneath the building, which is a steal. And the fact that you can park it yourself when you have a private driveway, all those things make that uh, a really positive benefit. Um, And then you would make sure you would be able to appreciate maybe six figures worth of like just garage revenue a year so like if you needed to make capital improvements on something the chances of you personally having to experience an increase in your monthly uh maintenance fees with an assessment is very low and so those are also things you just had to think about when it comes to a co-op of like how healthy is it you don't want to feel like you're uh like every year the uh the what's it called i'm sorry the uh the costs are so variable there's also this fun thing in New York City called Local 11 uh, facade work, which I don't know if I've ever talked about, but you essentially, the city requires every building in Manhattan, and I think the other boroughs as well, because of like the pollution and all the rain, it can like really eat away at the external facade of it. So they had to test it. And so every five years, you had to pay to cover the testing where they test every every corner and every sort of side of the building to ensure that the facade is safe. Wow. Because the last thing you want is to walk yeah. underneath a building and then like a piece of a brick chips off and hits you in the head. Because that's right. happened in the past. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you hope that the local 11 work concludes that your building is fine. But if it's not fine, then there could be an assessment to improve it. And that has to happen like clockwork every five years. And so it's one of those things where you want to see when the last time that work was done and if it was just done recently and you as a new owner may not have to uh, think about it for another five years, the, the seller agents will always let you know that. And so when you walk into a place, you know, the, as they tell you like, oh, these are all the pros of this, you know, this window is this exposure or that exposure, the, uh, well, they'll try and give you an approximate square footage, they'll give you an approximate ceiling height, like what kitchen appliances are new, how many true bathrooms there are. I'm sorry, how many true bedrooms there are, how many bathrooms there are. The standard thing that you ask for from a co-op perspective is, are there any ongoing assessments at this time? And they'll tell you. It's like, oh, we're paying for this, we're paying for that. That's an extra so-and-so on top of the maintenance fee. 
You can also ask about the flip tax. And so they'll be like, oh, it's 2%, but it's paid by the seller, so you're okay. Or it's like it's 1.5% split, or it's $10 a share based on how many number of shares you are, and that's paid by the buyer, and so there's all that stuff. Um, you can also ask if like a common thing is to ask if you can get an in-unit washer or dryer. Yep. Uh, but the older the building, the, mo- the more likely it isn't uh, allowed because of like how uh, thick the walls are and you got to make sure like you find a wet wall and it's wet over wet, um, which for those people who don't know, I'm sure because you're a homeowner, you understand what wet over wet means in a wet wall. No, could you explain that to me? Oh. Uh, no, I can't. Oh, okay. I'm moving on. No. <laughs> the, uh, so if you're going to install uh, a washer dryer, a wash a washing machine requires a water line. Um, and a water line then would require existing plumbing to get it to, to hook up. So you can't, let's just say, decide to put a washer dryer anywhere in your home. Right, right. right. It, okay. has to be, it has to be close to water lines. But in addition to that, especially in New York City because of the strict water laws, there has to be designated wastewater lines as well. Um, so you can't just like flush your water into the main water supply that everyone else is going to be using. There has to be wastewater. Mm-hmm. And the way that these buildings, especially these, um, not only are the newer buildings, but also the older buildings, uh, design that only certain walls have all the pipes. Uh, and so some, some of the buildings are too old that they can't, handle all that extra volume of water for these modern washer dryers even though they're really eco-friendly they were just never designed because these buildings were designed early 1900s you know right right. um so that's something to think about a lot of the brand new condos that are built like 90s on all have in-unit washer dryer but condos are going for like well over 1.5 for what we're looking for and that's just completely out of our project um, and so a lot okay. of times, yeah, a lot of times if you're looking and, and we, you know, I know we've talked about why condos are so expensive in the past. There's like, there's a lot of things that you can do when you're considering buying a condo versus a co-op. Like you can be a non-US citizen. It can be your second, third or fourth home. You can have debt to income ratios that are just a lot higher. Uh, and so, and you can also sublet it immediately. And so all of that flexibility allows for a larger volume of potential buyers that can bid up the price and then make it, uh, that much more expensive as a listing price with co-ops that we're looking at. You need to be a U.S. citizen. They really, really, uh, crack down on if this is a second home or not. Most co-ops do not allow it to be pied-a-terres. Um, they needed to be your primary residence. So uh, what, what's the a, reasoning for that? Like, what's the logic behind that? Do you know? Is it really? Is it? Is it a matter of people buying homes that aren't going to be living in them and driving up the, the yeah the price of real estate for actual residents? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and there's a multitude of other reasons. Uh, uh, one other one is just like debt to income ratios, where you know a bank is willing to write you a mortgage. I mean, I don't know you that you've experienced this as well. You go to a mortgage lender, they're like, "Well, how much do you want? We're willing to go really high." Um, and while you certainly, in theory, could support a number like that, you know, you're not actually potentially yeah. looking to support a mortgage that high. <laughs> right. Uh, and the same thing is here. Like mortgage lenders here are like, oh, we're willing to send, write you, you know, a couple of these really big loans. But a co-op will not allow you to have a debt-to-income ratio above a certain percent on average in the low 20s. Because they want to ensure that you can make your payments. And a lot of it, honestly, is just trying to keep out uh, poor people, which is a terrible thing to say. But that's just how these co-ops operate. They just want to make sure that um, 
there's a lot of other like socioeconomic and, and racial and political things that you can get into about it that right. we won't get into today, but it's just sort of the the mark of the the co-op landscape in New York City. I remember there was like a little, I don't want to call it a documentary or anything. I think it may have just been like a special interest piece that I saw a few years ago about co-ops in, in New York City. I feel like it was from a TV show. Like I, I don't like a, like a daily show style or esque. Um, but yeah, like I got a little bit of insight into that and everyone wants to say like, yeah, you don't want to be a part of that. But at the same time, um, like you say, like there, there are varying socioeconomical reasons for why people feel a certain way about why certain groups should be kept out of their building and, and others should not. But I mean, the, one of the simpler ones, I guess, is simple, as simple as what you said before, like you don't want, you don't want somebody to not be able to make their payments and right. having to like scramble, right? Like your neighbor. And then all of a sudden their property value goes down. Your property value goes down, right? Like it's a, it's a, a very um, particular way in which your neighbors can help influence the future cost of their home, of their investment, if you will. Yep. And one of the things is if you, um, if you have a forced sale, uh, the issue with a forced sale is so like when people are selling places and you're looking to put an offer, the, uh, the, your agent will do something called run comparables, which I'm sure your agent did as well. Uh, or maybe yep. they didn't, I don't know. If it's yeah, they, they did. I'll, I'll yep. start. You run comparables to determine what kind of offer you should put in based on like you know, just because they listed at a certain price doesn't mean you necessarily have to put an offer into that price. Right. Um, I mean, I know this market's a little bit different, but that's that's theoretically <laughs> yeah, how this yeah, is supposed to go. Yeah. Um, with uh, with this one, uh, if you have a forced sale, you may be forced to sell it at a lower price than it ought to, and mm-hmm. then it affects everybody's comps for many many years because you essentially synthetically reduce the rate. And you'd be reducing the rate on everyone in the building potentially that has your same line, and that could—that's such a detrimental thing, you know. That like you're, like you are making all your payments, and you're being a good neighbor. How come you have to sort of pay the price for someone else not being able to make their payments? And so yeah. that's what—that's—that's that's what they'll tell you. I'll say. Yeah. No. Exactly. Absolutely. One hundred percent. And that's the thing. I—I I don't think I explained it very or like said my thought completely. Where you know that. That is the aspect that you cannot control when you buy a single family home, right? Like you buy a single family home and um, especially back like 2008 or whatever you want to go back to, you have no control over what your neighbors get. So if your neighbor buys a house and it's like the same house as yours and they're forced to foreclose on that home and they sell it for like $50,000 less than what they bought it. Well, when somebody runs a comp on your house, when you want to sell it later that same year, now they're going to look at the house that just sold, which is identical to yours, and they're going to try to say, oh, well, your house should be worth this. Yeah, exactly. And so there's just a lot of like uh, a lot of levers in all of this yeah. um, that, that we're slowly, slowly learning. And it's, it's fun to figure out. But, uh, you know, fun can also be sort of pejorative in a certain situation. So that's yeah. really it. Um, you know, one of the things is we still have 11 months on our uh, lease and without getting into uh, too much detail, it would be prohibitively expensive for us to cancel 11 months of payments um, on our particular place right now. Yeah. And so 
that could be mid five figure uh, penalty mm. for us, which is just not something that we can afford. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in addition to everything, but you know, it, there 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 could be uh, some flexibility. I'll say with the uh, property management company um, because we are renting out our current place uh, at a discount uh, compared to where it would be. Um, if we were to go on, like based on the what the market oh, yeah. rate is, because you guys got a really good rate on that, right? Like you, you, you we weren't got, even intending to do that. It was just like it was a good deal, right? Yeah, we basically got twenty five percent off, wow. uh, and I'll, I'll tell you offline how much we're paying for it. But uh, okay. uh, yeah, it's even to add twenty five percent off. It's it's. A great deal, but we would be priced out of this home if we were looking at this today. It would be prohibitively expensive. We would never, we could never afford to live in a place like this. Yeah. So, you know, all all, all part of the uh, the great and grand journey we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I know I've I've monopolized a lot of the time, but uh, I just wanted to give you a, an update on what we were doing, and we're gonna see one more place tomorrow that requires a gut renovation. Um, somebody bought uh, three studios apartments, um, and there, you have the opportunity to create one large apartment out of wow. essentially three adjacent units. And so we're going to go and take a look um, and see what can and can't be done. It's a really, really old place, um, but there's a lot of interesting things about it. And so it never hurts to never hurts to go see a place. No, for sure. I mean, yeah, the the prospect of being able to do that, the amount of space that you would have, but yeah, the uh, the amount of work that 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 could be required could be a bit uh intimidating, I guess, right? Yeah. So, um, how are you spending this year's MLK weekend? So yeah, this job I do have, I do have this holiday. Uh, I have the, I actually have the day off. Um, I actually don't really know what I'm going to do yet, to be honest. There are some things that I need to work on around the house, um, but nothing okay. that like can get done in like a single day. So there might have to be just kind of a period of planning that I go into with some things. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, the, the pantry that we've had put in, um, I have to, um, I need to get some lighting in there. And so I was going to be putting in some light strips because I did the under the counter light strips myself with like uh, Philips oh, light nice. bulbs. So I was thinking of doing something similar in there, although I'm not sure if I'm going to go the Hue route just because they're a bit expensive, and I think I might be able to get away with something cheaper. Um, anyway, there's a variety of reasons for why, but I might do some work with that. Um, Gordon's office, or sorry, Gordon does not have, like the school's daycare is still open, so he will be going, so I won't have to, I really won't have to, like, you know, take care of him or anything. Lena does work, but we still have people coming in doing the, the uh the work in our kitchen um you know for the the uh, water issue that we'd had so maybe part of the day spent you know talking to them working with them the only issue with that whole thing really is just that um it's been a it's a process trying to like the so we were working with surf pro right so our, our um our insurance company they they're um kind of professional is surf pro and surf pro i guess the way they function is largely working with various independent level contractors who come in and do the different work that's required to get to the get to the base level flooring to then actually 
dried out and make sure there's no issues in your home. So they, um, like the first day they came, which was Wednesday this past week, they, what did they do? They, they basically just packed up some stuff that were in our, in our lower kitchen cabinets and drawers. And then, um, the next day they were supposed to remove the countertops. So we have like granite, granite countertops. They have, um, they have, uh, so like the people who work for surf pro could technically do it themselves, but they basically told me that they don't like to do that because, um, the granite often breaks. And so mm. if they were to do that and it breaks on them and then the insurance company wants them to pay for it. So they basically hire some third party person to come do it. Who's insured for that type of thing. Um, so they had them come in and they were also supposed to have somebody come and remove the, um, the backsplash, but they messed up the timing, I guess, because they sent the person to remove the, the countertops first and then the person who was doing the backsplash came second. The guy who comes in to do the uh, the countertops, he's like, oh, I, I can't do this right now. Like, the backsplash has to be gone. Um, and I got another job, so I can't, like, wait around for somebody who may or may not come. So he leaves. And not, like, 30 minutes later, <laughs> the, the black backsplash guy shows up. So anyway, he does the stuff. And then the next day, the uh, the countertop guy comes back and does his thing. But that was it. Like, that's all we got done. So we're still waiting for them to remo- to um, actually move the counters and the, the 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 kitchen island, and then once that is done, we have um we still have to have the floor removed. So I don't really know what the like how likely that is to get done tomorrow. I'm hoping I don't even really know what's on the schedule for tomorrow. I hope I hope something's happening tomorrow. Um, but Tuesday the reconstruction people come. So both the representative for SurfPro and our insurance company are going to show up on Tuesday and basically go over everything with us, like what needs to be done. Um, if like subfloor needs to be replaced, um, if they can just start laying floor back down and I think we can kind of go over some of our options, like what the cost is going to be and then try to figure out, okay, well, this is what is here. This is what you would be replacing. This is what the check is going to be for. Here's what we actually want to do instead. Cause it's like, it's not like it's not necessarily a free kitchen remodel, but things that are messed up that you don't want there anymore could be mm-hmm. replaced, and that's that's what we want to do. So, like the floor, I think I mentioned it last week, we're going to replace the floor that's wood with something else. That way, if there were ever a leak again like this, hopefully it wouldn't cause such like devastating. Um, it wouldn't cause such a devastating damage. <laughs> so, we'll see. But that's kind of it. That's that's kind of it. Um, you know, other than that, it's like a day off is great, but it's so funny how fast a day goes. Like even when I was here, when I had a few days here by myself, it's like, OK, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then uh, you quickly realize like, oh, this one task that you thought maybe you could finish in half an hour. Well, that took three hours. So good luck getting everything, everything else done. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, uh, you know how you say that time sort of flies with stuff like this and you never really can get stuff done. Um, This is the one year sort of mark out from uh, Caroline and Maya's uh, wedding weekend. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. I know. I know. We're we're, we're, we're flying ahead at a face melting speed. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's really, uh, that's really all I have for this weekend. Um, again, we have another listing and I'll, I'll keep you updated on, uh, on where things are going to go. Yeah. 
definitely appreciate hearing the updates. Um, man, it sounds like quite the process, though. Yeah, it. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, but uh, we'll we'll get there. I'll say we'll get there. Yeah. All right. All right, dude. Well, let's get out of here. Yeah, I'm Reza. I'm Sandy. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Yeah.